Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 18. Jalil hated being cooped up at the police station. Yeah, Dad wanted to keep him safe and away from the dangerous action that might go down tonight. But Jalil wasn't some little kid. He wasn't helpless. He knew how to use guns. And he knew what these vampires were all about. He should be out in the streets, not pinned up in here with these other people who didn't know what the hell was going on. These people were glad that they were on the team that would only get called in for backup. Cowards. He had to get away from them. He and Poke were in the tiny room in the back of the station. The room was full of dusty files and papers. Poke was playing a Game Boy. Jalil was flipping through one of Deputy Dedu's tabloids. Dudu had been a goofy dude, but he wanted to do the right thing. Jalil missed him. In the main room out front, Jalil heard the team members talking on the phone and speculating amongst themselves about what might happen that night. Boring, pointless conversation. Jalil needed to be taking action. Hey man, Jalil said to Poke, we should break out of here. For what? I kind of like chilling here. I don't want to be in the middle of no shit, know what I'm saying? I want to be in the streets doing something, not laying up in here like a coward. You know how to use a gun, man. Your dad used to take you hunting. Poke shrugged. That was a long time ago. And it don't matter, because I want to be bit by some motherfucking vampire mutt like T-Bone did. Don't punk out on me, Poke. I need you to have my back on this. We gotta go out there and do some damage. Gotta get some revenge for what they did to T-Bone. Poke side. Why you gotta be a hero? T-Bone's one of them now. He might be coming after us. Then we owe it to him to put him out of his misery, Jalil said. He stood and threw the magazine on the floor. I'm rolling out, with or without you. Poke looked as if he wanted to hurl his Game Boy against the wall. Damn it, Jay. You're a crazy motherfucker, you know that? You've been watching too many movies. You're going to get us both killed. Jalil shrugged and walked out of the room. Behind him, he heard Poke's chair scrape against the floor. He smiled to himself. Poke could complain all he wanted, but there was no way he would abandon Jalil. They were like brothers. Out in the office, the patrol team sat around talking, looking nervous. Jalil walked to his father's desk like he owned the place and pulled open the drawer. 
he fished out a set of keys. Hey, where are you going, little man? One of the men said. Jalil recognized the guy from the basketball courts. His name was Bobby. He had a long, dripping jerry curl, a gold tooth, and always wore faded basketball jerseys. Me and my boy got some business to handle. Jalil walked towards the door where Polk waited. Hold on. The chief said you were supposed to stay here with us, Bobby said. I'm telling. Don't be a punk. Jalil pushed open the door. Later, people. Dad had parked his pickup in the corner of the parking lot. Jalil unlocked the door and climbed in, and Polk rolled shotgun. The engine revved up with a roar. Although Jalil didn't have a driver's license, he had learned how to drive when he was 12 years old. He grasped the manual gear shift with confidence. Where are we going, Polk said. I'm going to drop by my crib to pick up some guns and make some of those Molotov cocktails, Jalil said. Then, we go on vampire hunting. The door to the basement awaited them. David could only imagine what they would find down there. Vampires? Corpses? Demon dogs? There was no way to tell. The house is as silent as a morgue. Why are we going down here? Ben whispered. We know the head vampires are gone, and they're the ones we want. I'm telling you, we're walking into a trap. Ben smart. Could be a citizen down there. Sick, Jackson said. We're the law in this town, y'all. We gotta do our duty to protect and serve. The guy on the recording said a friend of ours was waiting for us in the basement, Tanya said. It has to be someone that we know. Speculating isn't gonna do us any good, Max said. We've got to charge down there and take control. Act like soldiers. He grasped the doorknob. Be careful with old Susie, Mac, David said. We don't want to set the house on fire. Not with us in here. Mac grunted by way of reply. He pulled open the door. A swamp of darkness lay below. A horrible stench roiled from the room, too. When he was a kid... David had once discovered a dead squirrel that had got snared in the attic crevice, and this stink was similar, only stronger. He tried to keep from gagging, but a couple other team members coughed, and Ben cursed softly. Max slid his hand across the wall inside the doorway. He flipped the switch, but no light came on. Give me some light, guys, Max said. Get those weapons ready, people. It's showtime. They brandished their guns. Ben shunned his flashlight over Mac's shoulder, exposing concrete walls festooned with cobwebs and a narrow flight of wooden steps. Mac began to descend the stairs, the tip of the flamethrower emitting a faint glow. The steps creaked under his weight. In tight formation, Ben followed Mac, then Tanya, David, Naya, Bertha, and Jackson. David felt Naya's hot breath on the back of his neck and the sensation was absurdly arousing. This is a hell of a time to be thinking about sex. Holy shit, Max said. He was at the bottom of the staircase. Chief, you ain't gonna like this. The rest of them joined Mac below, and saw what he meant. On the other side of the basement, revealed in the flashlights, Deputy Ray Dedue hung from a ceiling pipe, hung from his ankles. His eyes were closed. His gangly arms were crossed over his chest. He looked like a grotesque human bat. He still wore his police uniform. The shirt was stained with blood. 
I'd rather die than become something like that, David thought. He felt as if he were viewing a spectacle at the Carnival Freak Show. Suspended from the pipe, the dew swung back and forth slowly, as if rocked by a gentle breeze. What's wrong with them? Ben said. He's a vampire, Jackson said. He stepped forward. Pearl said he was dead. I know what she meant now. He ain't human no more. Oh, Mac, do it. Mac wiped sweat from his brow. Chief, he kind of looks like a man. I don't know about this. The dude's eyes opened. Someone screamed. The creature who had once been Ray Dudu launched forward, flying across the room and into their midst. The team scattered. David grabbed Nia's arm and pulled her away from the melee. Flashlights clattered against the floor, light beams swerving crazily around the room. As David fumbled with his gun, a man screamed, and in the strobe of light he saw the vampire crushing Ben in a bear hug. The vampire savagely bit into the man's neck. Mac, hit him with the flamethrower, David said. Damn thing won't light up, Mac said. David heard a frantic clicking sound. Come on, come on, come on, David thought. He had pressed himself against the cold wall. He gripped Nia's arm tightly. She was panting too. Another shriek. A woman. David raised a flashlight, moved it around, and captured the vampire in the act of tearing in the birther's jugular vein. Someone shoot him, David said. He raised his gun. But Jackson was first. Across the cellar, he fired his three fifty seven. The bullet hit the fiend in the chest. The vampire stepped backwards, stumbled, but didn't fall. How could you shoot a fellow officer, the vampire said. Its voice was raspy. It bared its fangs. I never liked you, Chief Jackass. Jackson nailed the vampire with another bullet, this one in the head. It staggered against the wall, but it would not go down. Rage and an inhuman hunger blazed in its reddened eyes. Ready, get back, Max shouted. He aimed the flamethrower at the vampire. A jet of flame spat out of the weapon with a whoosh. The blast of heat sizzled the sweat on David's face. Engulfed in fire, the creature screeched. It dropped to the floor and rolled, as though to extinguish the flames. Hit him again, Mac, Jackson said. Mac punished the vampire with another stream of fire. The flames consumed the monster as though it was made of dry rags. Howling, flailing its limbs, the vampire struggled, but could not defeat the ravenous fire. Finally, the creature lay still and quiet. Rancid gray smoke steamed from the corpse. David prodded the corpse with his foot. The vampire did not move. He looked around. Ben and Bertha lay on the floor, having collapsed after being bitten. Jackson, Mac, Tanya, and Naya appeared as if they had crawled through hell and back. They had only just begun. It was going to get much worse before the night was over. Well, team, David said, we've killed our first vampire. Junior regretted that he had been assigned to the hospital. He had gotten there on time, at 7.15. The patrol team had a desk and a few chairs stationed on the north wing of the medical center, in front of a set of heavy doors. A handwritten sign taped to the doors read, Quarantine Area, Authorized Personnel Only. Past the doors, the half dozen or so rooms were full of sick people. He could not think of them as people who had been bitten by vampiric creatures. 
He preferred to think of him as being sick. It was easier for his mind to get around that. To get into the quarantine section, you had to either be a member of the patrol team or a medical person, or be sick. Curious, Junior had used his team member status to get inside, to look around for a minute. He peeked inside the dimly lit rooms. Many of the people who lay on the beds, comatose, were folks that he had done work for in the past. Good people, all of them. It disturbed him, but nothing disturbed him as much as seeing Doc Bennett in a bed, too. Junior stepped inside of Doc's room. Miss Bennett sat at his bedside. She looked tired. A woman lay on the bed on the other side of the room, asleep. Junior didn't know who she was. Hi, Junior, Miss Bennett said in a weary voice. Hi. He stood just inside the doorway, unconsciously. He touched the pendant that lay on his chest, underneath his shirt. How long's Doc Bennett been sick? Since yesterday. Oh. Junior lowered his head. I hope he gets better real soon. We all do, she sighed. This is a quarantine area, sugar. I can be here because I'm a nurse. But are you supposed to be back here? I wouldn't want anything to happen to you, too. I'm on the patrol team, ma'am, he said. I was just checking on people. You're a brave man, Junior. I'm praying for all of you. Junior nodded. He didn't know what to say. He thought of saying that it was partly his fault that Doc Bennett had gotten sick. He was the one who had told Doc about the cave in the first place. But Miss Bennett already looked so sad that he didn't want to say anything that would make her feel worse. Well, let me know if you need something, Junior said. It's going to be night soon, Miss Bennett said. She glanced out the window. Darkness was coming. You be careful, sugar, okay? Yes, ma'am. I sure will. He shuffled back to his post. He felt kind of sick himself, but his pain was due to heartache. He wished he was assigned to go somewhere else. Here, misery hung heavy in the air, as powerful as the antiseptic smell that characterized all hospitals. He sat on a chair next to his team members and whittled away the time chatting with them. Every now and then, Dr. Green and his assistants would push ill folks towards the doors on stretchers, and then Junior's team would put the sick individual's name on a list. Within an hour, they had checked in eight people, and Junior knew every one of them. But when the ninth person was brought in, he jumped up so suddenly that his chair crashed against the floor. It was Vicky Queen. He knew she had been ill, but he figured that she was sick with the same thing as everyone else. But seeing her rolled in on a stretcher, it did something to him. He stood in front of the doors, blocking the medical assistant's route to quarantine. Miss Queen, he said, that can't be you. The woman tucked under the white sheet was asleep. It looked like Vicky, but then it didn't. She didn't have any makeup on. But Junior had always thought she was so pretty that she didn't need makeup anyway. This woman had Vicky's fine features, but she was drab and limp, like a wax dummy or something. No, not like a wax dummy. Like someone lying in a coffin. He gripped the edges of the gurney in his big, calloused hands. Excuse me, please, the medical assistant said. I need to get this young lady into quarantine. Her name's Vicky Queen, Junior said. 
Are you a relative of the patient? Huh? The assistant sighed. Are you related to Miss Queen? Uh, no, I'm just a friend. I've known her my whole life. I see. Will you sign her in for me, please? Okay, sure. The assistant rolled her eyes, like she was annoyed with Junior or something. He didn't get it, but sometimes people did things that baffled him. What room is available, the assistant said. I need to know where to take her. Junior stammered. One of his team members stepped forward, put Vicky's name on the list, and said she could go on to room 113. Vicky Queen was swept away through the swinging doors. Junior watched her being taken into a room near the end of the hallway. He would make sure that he kept an eye on her. She had always been so nice to him. He would hate for something bad to happen to her. He would do whatever it took to protect her. Darkness embraced the world. The arrival of night thrilled Kyle. This one will forever hold a value place in his memory. The night that he and his father stood side by side and launched the war against humankind. The war was long overdue. For too long, vampires such as Mother had lived in secret, preying upon humans as if they were lowly parasites, like minuscule fish clinging to the belly of a great whale. The truth, as his father had forced him to realize, was that vampires were the superior race. And it was time for them to assume their rightful, dominant position in the world's hierarchy of species. When Kyle had lived with Mother, he had often pondered such ideas. But Mother, predictably, would turn his thoughts away from fantasies of conquest. Mother was too wealthy, too old, and too passive to care about elevating their race. But Diallo hungered for blood and dominion, and he had stoked the same flames in Kyle, too. The prize of the battle in Mason's Corner was David Hunter. Although Diallo hadn't shared with Kyle how he planned to punish the man, Diallo's sly smile, whenever the topic arose, made it quite clear to Kyle that the human would curse his unfortunate lineage for all eternity. As night sucked away the final threads of daylight, Kyle and Diallo left the sheltering walls of their hideaway and emerged outdoors. Diallo strode purposefully through the grass. Kyle walked in step with him. He admired his father's appearance in the black silk shirt, jeans, and polished leather boots. Kyle wore the same clothing himself. He had acquired the tailored garments before leaving Paris. Kyle imagined that together, they resembled vengeful angels who have visited Earth to set matters right between their kind and man. He felt Diallo's strength. It emanated from his body like cold air, demanding that Kyle keep a few feet between himself and his father, lest he grow numb from the aura of power. There was no doubt that his father recovered. Diallo had said that he never felt such energy course through him. A dome of purple-black clouds covered the world. Thunder grumbled. Lightning stuttered on the horizon and illuminated the vast, weed-dense field through which they walked. Maple trees filled the area, looking like shadowy sentinels. Kyle did not know where Diallo was headed, and he had no inclination to ask. He would go wherever his father led him. A hill rose ahead of them. Diallo started to ascend it, and Kyle followed. But Diallo stretched out his arm, stopping him. I must do this alone, Diallo said. His eyes gleamed like onyx. Wait behind and watch. Yes, father.
Diallo marched to the peak, his shirt fluttering in the wind like wings. Kyle did not know what his father was about to do, but his hands clenched in anticipation. Atop the mound, Diallo faced the west. He knelt, spread his long arms, and tilted his face upward. Kyle recalled that his father had assumed a similar stance when he had summoned the first canines and became his slaves. Was Diallo conjuring more hounds? Already, they had dozens of hounds under their command. No, this must be something different, Kyle thought. Father's about to perform something wondrous and awesome. The atmosphere hummed, raising the hairs at the nape of Kyle's neck. But he was not afraid. He was giddy, eager. He felt as though he had lived his entire long life to be ready to vividly experience events like this. The lackluster life of luxury and tranquility he had lived at his mother's estate had prepared him to feel the proper appreciation for his father's electrifying power. A jagged rod of lightning lashed across the sky and cast Diallo's profile in stark relief. As motionless as he was, Diallo might have been the ancient obsidian statue of a warrior god. The breeze suffing through the trees picked up speed, branches swaying, leaves rustling. The wind gusted faster, 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 the pitch rising from a low moan to an anguished cry. The collar of Kyle's shirt flew up. The wind shoved him forward, and he dropped to his knees. I did not know a vampire could possess such talents, he thought. Mother had never spoke of influencing the weather. He had thought that the ability for vampires to do such acts was fiction. Once again, Mother had kept secrets from him. Squinting against the cutting wind, Kyle raised his face to watch his father. On the hill, Diallo remained still, kneeling, arms outspread, though the gust tore at his clothing and shredded leaves whirled around him. The sky appeared to be boiling, storm clouds churning, shifting and roiling. A hundred yards away, a sizzling bolt of lightning struck a tree. Orange sparks flew. The maple, cleaved in half as though hit with the giant axe, slammed against the earth. Kyle suppressed an urge to seek cover. His father ordered him to wait. Nevertheless, he drew up his collar to guard his sensitive ears. But the makeshift hood could not quiet the shrieking wind. Thunder roared so explosively that Kyle feared the ground might open up and swallow him. Then, in quick succession, several whips of lightning slashed at the town. Kyle could not determine precisely where they struck, only that they were in the vicinity of the residential area. The sky was ablaze in gas-jet blue light. My father is indeed a genius. What better way to start a humans into a frenzy of confusion and fear before we attack than by turning the elements against them? The howling wind spat leaves and grit in Kyle's face. He reached inside his shirt pocket, withdrew the aviator glasses, slid them over his eyes. The storm-punished land seemed to be drenched in darkness. Diallo, resembling a giant shadow, finally rose and began to descend the hill. The furious winds did not hamper his walk. They seemed to escort him, and for an instant, Kyle thought his father was floating. Although Kyle worried that the wind might flatten him, he stood to meet his father. Diallo touched his shoulder. His grip was like an iron clamp, and his fingers were so hot that they singed Kyle's skin. Power. Now, 
our army will arise, Diallo said, and we will join them. Jackson was eager to get away from Jubilee. He never wanted to set foot in the house again. He never wanted to see it again. He fleetingly thought of taking Max Flamethrower and spitting a stream of fire at the place to erase it from the town once and for all. He and the team members carried Bertha and Ben out of the basement. By the time they finally stumbled onto the veranda, night had imprisoned the town. While they were in the cellar, Jackson had called Dr. Green on his cell phone and asked him to come to the Mason place, Pronto, to pick up their fallen members. They needed to be taken to quarantine immediately. None of them spoke as they waited on the porch for the ambulance to arrive. There was nothing that any of them could say that would make sense of what had happened in the basement. Every time Jackson shut his eyes, he saw Deputy Dedu's blood-crazed face, the face of a monster. The Lord image will stay with him for the rest of his life. Christ, he wanted to get away from this place. From the anxious looks on the face of everyone else, they were as ready as he was to get the hell out of there. The wail of the ambulance, which normally alarmed him, was the most appealing sound he had heard all day. It meant he could leave soon. <laughs> Tanya sprinted across the gravel driveway to open the gate. The vehicle rolled down the path, lights flashing. Dr. Green typically would never ride in an ambulance, but he was spending a lot of time in it today. As I have for Jackson, ordinary procedures have been thrown out of the window. Jackson met the doctor as he climbed out of the vehicle. Dr. Green, normally a robust-looking guy, seemed as though he had aged 20 years in only a few hours. Two assistants hurried to where Ben and Bertha had been placed on the veranda. Had a mess up there, Jackson said to the doctor. Appreciate you coming as fast as you did. Green dragged his hand down his haggard face. What went on in there, chief? We killed a vampire. It used to be my deputy, but he wasn't himself anymore. We torched him with a flamethrower, but he bit them two folks before we could take him down. I see, the doctor said. Jackson instilled himself for a frown, or a disdainful glare. But Green looked thoughtful and scared. Jackson wondered what the doctor had seen while making his visits throughout the town to pick up the ill. I don't know if we'll ever be able to explain this phenomenon scientifically, Green said, or treat their conditions with medicine. But I believe you, Jackson. I've seen enough myself, so I'm left with no choice but to believe you. Being right doesn't please me none, Jackson said. I'd rather be making all this up. All we can do is our best, Green said. He shrugged, as though too exhausted to think of a more profound comment. But he was right. All they could do was give it their best shots. They loaded Ben and Bertha on gurneys and lifted them into the ambulance. After the vehicle sped away, Jackson turned to the remaining four people on his team. They looked weary. Way too weary at such an early stage in the fight. The night was young. I think we should go back to the police station to regroup, David said. We gotta put our heads together and figure out where the head vampires might be hiding. We have to stay focused on Kyle and Diallo. Makes sense, Jackson said. We got to touch base with the other teams, too. Make sure they're holding up. The others murmured their agreement. They trudged down the path to the gate. A breeze had been blowing for most of the afternoon, but then it suddenly picked up speed. Jackson snared his hat before the wind snatched it off his head and hurled it into the darkness. 
Thunder groaned, making the earth tremble. Lightning skipped across the sky. All of them began to run down the driveway. The gusts rose from a moan into a nerve-wracking screech. It took the efforts of Jackson and David to force open the iron gates and hold it so that Naya, Mac, and Tanya could get through. When Jackson and David squeezed through it themselves, the gate boomed shut behind them. Lightning cracked above Jubilee's rooftops, making the old mansion look every bit of the haunted house that it was rumored to be. David, Mac, and Naya scrambled into Mac's pickup, and Tanya got into the patrol car with Jackson. Jackson stabbed the key in the ignition. The wind punched the car, snuffled at the windows like a creature scrabbling to get inside. Do you think it's a tornado? Tanya said. Don't know. It might be, Jackson said. Wouldn't be lucky for us, would it? Mackett slammed his truck into gear, performed a U-turn, and was roaring away down the road, heading back towards town. Jackson executed a sharp U-turn, too. Dead leaves and weeds, animated by the gale, danced in the middle of the road. The trees swayed, their boughs shaking violently. Jackson had seen two tornadoes in his life. One as a child, one as a man. And these winds were growing closer and closer to reaching that level of destruction. He mashed the gas pedal. The acceleration threw him back in his seat. Ahead... A fork of lightning stabbed an oak tree alongside the road with an eardrum-splitting crack. Hot branches flew like shrapnel, and the shattered, smoking trunk teetered and began to fall towards the road. Jackson floored the accelerator. Watch out, Tanya said in a high-pitched voice. She covered her eyes. In his peripheral vision, Jackson saw the giant tree falling towards him. It would smash the car to pieces if it struck him but he could not have stopped if he wanted to. Adrenaline propelled him to push the engine to the maximum. The oak missed the car's rear bumper by only a foot. The tree crashed against the ground with such force that the car bounced a few inches in the air and rattled its teeth. Are you crazy? Tanya said. You could have killed us. I ain't ready to die yet, Jackson said. Got too much work to do tonight to have time to die. Tanya opened her mouth, and he heard the beginnings of a first-class cuss-out coming his way. But she clapped her mouth shut, folded her arms across her chest, and slid down the seat. Bet you'll ride with someone else next time, Jackson said. He chuckled. Maybe he was losing his mind. He couldn't really see the humor in the situation, but he couldn't stop the laugh from escaping him. He had heard the saying that when things got tough, you laugh to keep from crying. Maybe that's what he was doing. Laughing to keep from crying, or laughing to keep from dying. At home in the den, Jalil discovered that almost all his father's firearms were gone. The only ones left in the gun cabinet were Jalil's own pump-action Mossberg shotgun, which he used to take for hunting, and a pellet gun that Jalil had used as a kid to take target practice soda cans. A pellet gun, for God's sake. Damn it! Jalil slammed his fist against the cabinet door. I bet your dad gave all our shit to the people on those patrol teams. Now what are we going to do, man? Poke said. His face was greasy with sweat. I ain't got no guns. My pops took all of them when he moved out. Figures, Jalil said. Think. Okay, look. We're going to have to work as a team. 
I'll use the shotgun. Man, that's bullshit, Polk said. I'm not finished, alright? Jalil said. Just listen. I'll use the gun, and we'll make some Molotov cocktails. When we see a bloodsucker, I'll plug him to slow him down, and then you'll light him up with the cocktail. We'll be like a tag team, get it? Hell nah, Polk said. I need me a motherfucking gun. Why you get to carry the shotgun? Cause it's mine, Jalil said. He offered the pistol to Poke. Use this. It's better than nothing. Carry it for backup. All any of these guns can do is slow these bloodsuckers anyway. They won't kill them. I'm gonna get me a real piece before we through, Poke said. His lips crawled in disgust. Poke snatched a pellet gun from Jalil and holstered it in his waistband. Give me some ammo, man. In the ammunition drawer, the only ammo left was for the pellet gun and the Mossberg. He scooped up two handfuls of pellets and handed them to Poke, then loaded the shotgun. Once it was loaded, he unzipped his duffel bag and dumped the remaining ammo inside. The bag already held a flashlight, a knife, a first aid kit, and several books of matches. Jalil wanted to be prepared for anything. Thunder rumbled. Poke checked outside the window. What do you see out there? Jalil said. Night had fallen, and someone might attack them at any second. Someone coming? We got a storm coming, Poke said. No sooner had he spoken the words than a gale of wind swirled around the house. The ceiling light in the den wavered. Go to the kitchen to get some candles, Jalil said. They're in the drawer by the refrigerator. We can't be without light. We still got to make these cocktails. Got it. Poke shuffled to the stairs. Did he have to walk so slowly? Jalil wanted to put his foot up his ass to get him moving. Well, they always called him Poke for a reason. He moved like a slug. Jalil was starting to get a headache. It was the same kind of pounding behind the eyes pain that he would get whenever he was taking an exam for which he hadn't studied. It was solely due to stress. The screaming gust beat a tattoo against the walls. Thunder steamrolled across the night, and Jalil saw flickers of lightning coming in through the curtains, as though someone was taking photos outside. Man, hurry up, Jalil said. He didn't like being alone down there, not when he understood what awaited them outdoors. Poke returned to the den with a single half-melted candle. Only found one in there, Poke shrugged. Guess your daddy raided the crib of all the useful shit today. No shit, Jalil said. Well, let's go in the garage and make these cocktail things so we can get out of here. The door on the far side of the room opened into the two-car garage. Jalil flipped the light switch beside the door. The light did not turn on. Behind them, the light in the den winked out. Jalil cursed under his breath. Could it get any worse? Nothing was going their way. Give me some light, man. Hurry up, Poke said. He was so close that Jalil could smell the Doritos on his breath. Jalil clicked on the flashlight. He struck a match and lit the candle that Poke clutched in both hands as though it was a holy grail or something. Jalil panned the light beam around the garage, searching for the red and yellow can of gasoline. It was in the corner, beside the John Deere lawnmower. Jalil picked up the gasoline container. It really could get worse for them. The can was empty. Junior could not wait any longer. He had to see Vicky Queen. 
Ever since the medical people had pushed Vicky into quarantine and rolled her into the room at the end of the hallway, Junior had been unable to keep his attention away from her door. But it was too far away for him to get a peek inside. He would have to go back there to get a good look at her. He just wanted to make sure she was doing okay, that's all. It wasn't as though his team needed him right now. One woman, named Maria, handled checking in all the sick people, and the rest of the group only sat around, talking about stuff going on in town. Things were going slow, but that might change soon. He wanted to see Vicky while he still had the chance. Ron, one of the team members, winked at Junior. You're thinking about that woman, aren't you, Junior? Huh? What woman? Junior played dumb. He didn't like for people to know his business. Ron smiled. You know who I mean. Vicky Queen, the finest piece of ass in this town. Don't be ashamed. I've been thinking about her too. What do you mean? Junior asked cautiously. She sleep like all the rest of these folks, man. How about we sneak back there and get a look at her titties? She got them nice, big, round titties. Nipples like Hershey kisses. We could suck on them a little bit, you know? You take one and I'll take the other. Junior seized Ron by his shirt and drove him backwards. The back of Ron's head smacked the wall. The guy yelped like a panicked puppy. Junior's nose is only inches away from the man's face. You stay away from Miss Queen. She ain't no... no toy, you hear me? Ron's face went tomato red. He spluttered. Let me go, man. I'm sorry, alright? I was kidding. You stay away from Miss Queen, you pervert. Junior gave the guy a good shake, making his head thump against the wall again. Then Junior released him. Ron moved away, smoothing his shirt with shaky hands. You need to relax, man. What's wrong with you? We're supposed to be a team. Ain't nothing wrong with joking around. Junior ignored him. He was slow, but he wasn't dumb enough to be fooled by this fella. Ron was a pervert. Junior didn't realize how he remembered the word pervert. But the word felt right when applied to Ron. He looked down the corridor at Vicky's door. I'll go in there for only a minute, he promised himself. I'll make sure she's okay, and then I'll come back. He put his hand against the quarantine doors. Maria, stationed at the desk, raised her hand. Where are you going, Junior? Quarantine's a restricted area. Medical staff only. I'll be right back, he said. I gotta check on a friend. He pushed through the doors before the woman could tie him up in a conversation. Although on his last visit to the section he had peeked inside each room, on this trip he was so focused on Vicky's doorway that he didn't bother to look anywhere else. He paused at the threshold, wiped his face with a handkerchief. Quietly, he stepped inside. The room was dimly lit. There were four beds inside, each of them layered with crisp white sheets. But Vicky was the last patient brought to quarantine and had the room to herself. She lay on the bed nearest the window. Light glowing from the lamp on the nightstand enveloped her in a soft golden aura. The blinds were open to the night. Outside, lightning snapped across the sky and thunder rolled. Junior cleared his throat. <clears throat> you awake, Miss Queen? No response. She didn't stir either. Hesitantly, he approached the bed, his boots squeaking across the floor. Although she was ill, wore no makeup, and had disheveled hair, she was the most beautiful woman in the world to him.
Her lovely face was turned to the side, and one of her slender, copper arms lay across the bed sheet. Her skin was drained of its usual healthy shine, but her full lips were soft and rosy. It was impossible to believe that this gorgeous woman was going to change into a vampire one day. Junior couldn't believe it. She looked livelier than she had only a short while ago, when she had first been brought into the hospital. Maybe the medical people had given her a dose of something to heal her. She shifted, sleepily pulling away the sheet a little, as though she were too warm. Her movement partially exposed her firm, ripe cleavage that swelled underneath the thin hospital gown. Ron's voice came to Junior's mind. How about we sneak back there and get a look at her titties? She got them nice, big, round titties, nipples like Hershey's kisses. Vicky's moist tongue slid out and glided across her lips. She moaned softly. Cold sweat broke out on Junior's forehead. You ain't even got to be awake to make my heart race, Miss Queen, Junior said. He exhaled. He gently pulled the cover over her chest in case someone nasty like Ron came inside to see her. His hand brushed across her face. He felt her smooth skin. He tenderly stroked one of her lush eyebrows, ran his fingers through her long hair. He remembered a time when he and Vicky had lived next door to each other, and they were both kids. Junior had been roaring down the sidewalk on his bike and had fallen off and skinned his knee. And Vicky, who had been playing with her dog, came over to him and cleaned his knee with her own saliva and then got him a band-aid. A scream snatched him out of his reverie. He shot upright. Who was hurt? but it was only the wind. Outside, a gust harassed the trees and screeched around the building. As he looked out the window, a pulse of lightning stung his eyes. He pulled the cord to lower the blinds. They clattered to the bottom of the windowsill. There we go, he said, turning back to the bed. Now you can sleep in some peace. The words died on his lips. Vicky Queen was awake, and she was smiling at him. 916-633-1537, 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Podchaser, copy and paste that into Apple Podcasts, copy and paste that into Good Pods. Thank you to everybody who's been checking us out on Good Pods and uh, Podchaser, I appreciate both. Um, you can leave a donation at patreon.com slash simulcast. Also at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or at, again, the Good Pods app, you can leave us a tip in the tip jar. All donations will go towards buying books for this show and buying movies for uh, hindsight movie reviews. It's about to hit the fan. Yeah. Thank y'all so much for listening. I do greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes.
you can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.